Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. We have basically sung the sermon this morning as we've sung about the grace of God all morning. As we're moving through our solas, we started with sola scriptura, by scripture alone, uh, and, and we saw that that was the foundation of the Reformation. Uh, sola scriptura and ad fontes, back to the sources. And that's where Luther and the Reformers sought to go every time, back to the sources, back to the sources of the scripture, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. It wasn't by tradition, it wasn't by man's opinion, it wasn't by man's ideas, it was by and in uh, scripture alone. Last week, Pastor Todd did an outstanding job talking about by faith alone, sola fide, that it's only through faith we are justified by faith in Christ alone. There is, there is no other way. It, it can't be done by works, it can't be done by by uh, uh, you know, hoping, but it's done by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But I will say that sola fide uh, in itself caused great controversy in the Reformation, whereas sola gratia, who we're going to talk about this morning, did not cause such controversy. Because it was the alone part that was so, such a struggle in the Reformation. If you said that salvation was by faith, everyone would have said that was in the church in that day. Of course salvation is by faith. But it's by faith plus. It's by faith and something else. When, when Luther came along and said salvation, justification is by faith, they would have said okay. But when he said salvation is by faith alone, apart from works, apart from tradition, that was a whole new ball game. But I want you to see this morning that salvation by faith alone also has to be interpreted in light of sola gratia, by grace alone. And that's what Paul is dealing with in this second chapter of, uh, of Ephesians. He wants the Ephesian Christians, and he wants you and, you and me to understand that it really is on the basis of God's grace that we can have salvation. There is no other basis. There's no other way. Uh, Bill and Tom were good friends in high school. They grew up together. They did things together. They both made professions of faith together. And, and over time, Tom began to really grow into a strong believer. Bill, on the other hand, kind of wavered a bit. Uh, if you ask him, he would say, oh, yes, I was saved because I was baptized back at such and such Baptist church or wherever back in my youth, and I, I made a profession of faith. But quite honestly, Bill didn't make it to church very often. Tom was very faithful, always in worship, always pursuing the Scriptures, always pursuing God. And, and through time, uh, Tom grew as a believer. Bill, on the other hand, really had very little time for the church. Bill contracted cancer and was told by the doctors very bluntly that you only have a short amount of time to live, months probably, perhaps even just weeks. Tom, because he cared about Bill, purposed to go have a spiritual conversation with Bill Something that he had never done since their, their youth. 
And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to Bill and I'm going to share the gospel with Bill. And, and I want Bill to see it. I really want my friend to embrace Christ and, and embrace him in faith and embrace him for eternal life. And so he went to see his friend. When he got there, they began that discussion. And, and, and Tom asked Bill, tell me something. What are you trusting in for your salvation? What are you trusting in for your right standing before God? To which Bill replied, You know, Tom, when I stand before the Lord after I die, I just hope that I've been good enough for Him to accept me. I just hope that what I've done in this life that is good outweighs that which I've done that was not so good. And then when I stand before God, he says, okay, it's all right, I accept you. I would guess that you've known people like that. I would guess that there may be some here in this room this morning that may even be like that. Thinking, you know, I'm really not such a bad person, I really am pretty good guy, pretty good lady. And I just hope and pray that when I stand before God, God will say, everything's all right because you really were a pretty good person. If the Reformation teaches us anything, if the Reformation reminds us of anything, it is that there is nobody that is good in the sight of God. I think about when the, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said in the Gospels, he said, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, Jesus was not denying his divinity there, his deity there. He was merely acknowledging this young man recognized something that other people weren't recognizing. But he also wanted him to understand that no man, no human being is good, only God. And even God incarnate is good. No one is good except God. No one is good in their own righteousness except Jesus Christ. No one can stand before God innocent, accepted, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Luther saw this as the real problem in his day. There were a lot of people who, because they were going through the rituals, because they were in the church, because they, they had received certain blessings from, from human priests, they, they felt like they were okay because their sins had been forgiven. They had been, they had been absolved by a human source. And Luther said, that is a real problem when it comes face to face with Scripture. The secret was this. Failing, broken people are not loved because they are attractive or because they are good, but they are attractive and they are good because they are loved, Luther said. Luther said, you've got to come to grasp this idea that it's in the favor of God that you are loved. It is in the grace of God that you become attractive. I mean, we live in a day that, that puts premium on being attractive, don't we? All you ladies this morning, you got up and you, you didn't dare just run a brush through your hair and throw on a dress and come to church. Neither did we guys. You know, uh, you, you may have primped a little more than we guys did, but you got your hair done just right. You put your makeup on. You, you put on the 
the prettiest clothes that you could find. Some of you guys may have done that too. I hope not, but you may have. But, but the point is, you, you try to come in your, and be as attractive as you possibly can. Because we think that by being attractive, we will be more acceptable. We think that by putting on an appearance, people will like us better. And, and we translate that over in our relationship with God. We think that, man, if we can just do enough, if we can just try hard enough, if we can just say, God, look at me, I'm really a pretty good-looking guy inside and outside, that somehow God will say, okay, I'm a gracious God. I'm a God who cares. I'm a God who loves. Everything's all right. Paul makes clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that the problem is far deeper and far, no, far more serious than just trying to be good. Fo follow along as I read verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 8 through 10, but I want you to hear the context here. Paul's been talking about Christ being head over all things to the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all within the body. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, now there's a pretty picture, isn't it? Paul says, don't you understand this? You were dead. He's talking to believers here. He's not talking to the world at this point because he's using the past tense. And he says, you were dead. Now, a lot of people in our world, they say, what in the world would that mean? I'm not dead, I'm alive. I can feel, I can see, I can smell, I can taste, I can, I can enjoy the, the pleasures of this life. Why, well, I'm not dead. I'm not a corpse lying in a coffin somewhere. I'm very much alive. But you understand here that the Apostle Paul is not talking about a physical death. Paul is saying those who are in Adam and not in Christ are dead in trespasses and sins. You are dead because of the fall, and you are dead because of your own sin. Those who are not in Christ are dead even though they live. So he says, understand this. We were, we were like the rest of them. We, were, we lived according to the passions of flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the desires of the mind. We just wanted what we wanted. We just demanded our way. We sought after pleasure at whatever level it comes. Reading this past week about a particular Muslim cleric who is one of the leaders of terrorism. And he said, The reason that, that America is so weak is because they have forsaken their God for comfort and pleasure and happiness. And we're willing to give up comfort and pleasure, and happiness, that our God, Allah, might reign supreme. 
Does that describe the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century in the United States of America? It absolutely does. We have given up serving our God and being obedient to our God and, and seeing our God as all-encompassing in our lives to the point of saying, well, I will worship God when it's convenient, but what is comfortable and what is pleasurable and what is, is bringing me happiness, that's what I'm going to pursue above everything else. And it's made our country weak and it's made the church weak because when the church is weak, the country will be weak. Because there's no spiritual conscience. There's no moral compass. When the church sells out to comfort, pleasure, and happiness. Of course, that's how we were, though. We, we pursued the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath. In other words, we had the wrath of God. We talked about that in Romans chapter 1. We'll get back to Romans in a couple of weeks. But we were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That is, everybody outside of Christ under the wrath of God. And we were like that. We were there. We were children of wrath. And then he comes to verse 4. And he says, but God. You've heard me say before, one of the most important words in Scripture is but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses... God made us alive together with Christ. And listen at this. By grace you have been saved. By grace you've been saved. And raised up with Him. And, see, and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that at the coming, in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of His grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him when luther made that discovery of justification by faith alone contingent upon the 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 fact of by grace alone do we have faith he he discovered something that was so countercultural in his day but my friend it is absolutely countercultural in our day it's totally contrary to the thinking of our age. It's totally contrary to the, church, uh, the thinking of many churches today and much preaching that's coming out of many pulpits today. Uh, today you may hear a lot about Jesus, but what you'll hear is Jesus was a good man, follow his example. Jesus loved the poor, follow his example, loved the poor. Jesus, you know, was kind to children, be kind to children. I mean, a lot of talk about Jesus, but it's all about morality. It's all about just kind of trying to emulate this model what paul is saying here is you are so dead man is so dead apart from christ that you cannot emulate him and your works will do you no good if you're not in christ you can try to look like christ all you want to you can try to dress like him put on some sandals grow your hair long whatever you want to do but in some kind of physical sense or some kind of moral sense if you are not in him 
The scripture says you are dead in your trespasses today. It's deep in our blood, though. It's deep in our DNA today that the more attractive we make ourselves, the more loved and happy we can be. Luther made the statement, he said, Jesus' death on the cross was the key moment in history whereby the joyful exchange took place. The joyful exchange. On the cross, Luther said, Jesus, who wasn't guilty, took and faced God's punishment for our guilt so that we could be forgiven. And he went on to say, there is no remedy except for God's only Son to step into our distress. Because of the cross, God is reconciled there, uh, thereby and receives into grace and forgiveness of sins all who believe in his son. See, today grace has become kind of cheap. Most people see grace as just, you know, God's benevolent overlooking of things. Well, sure, God is a God of grace, so, so God will just overlook my sin. Some, most see grace as something that just kind of, kind of is a, a, a blanket forgiveness, you know. Well, God shows his grace toward us, while we were yet sinners, and so if he does it while we were yet sinners, then, then surely as we're sinners, we know his grace, and we just continue in our sin. Some even say that, well, if you're saved by grace, then, you know, why not just keep going on in sinning? Paul dealt with that to some of the, and some of the Romans when anticipated the question, well, if, if God's grace abounds more where sin is more, then should we not just keep, keep on sinning so that grace will abound more? And he said, heaven forbid, no. You misunderstand the whole thing of grace if you get that kind of idea. And so in this passage, there, there are three things I want you to see and, and we'll be done. All dealing with by grace alone. First of all, you've got to ask the question, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? He says here, we were saved. You once walked in these trespasses and sins. Sons of disobedience, you, you were just like them, but God has saved us. By grace, you have been saved through faith. What does it mean to be saved? Well, it, it means simply that we have been spared, we've been rescued, we've been reclaimed, we've been adopted into the family of God. And, and why do we need to be saved? Well, he dealt with it in verse 1, because you're dead. Men outside of Christ are dead. And so they need the grace of God to energize the faith within that we can believe and trust in Him by faith for salvation, for justification. But it's all contingent. Paul is going to make clear here in these verses. It's all contingent upon the grace of God and the grace of God alone. We face a culture today that says, why do I need to be saved? I don't I don't feel like I'm helpless. I don't feel like I'm hopeless. I don't feel like I have any need for salvation. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. And the church has been woefully negligent in saying to the world, understand this, you are dead. Because of your sin, because of your trespasses, because of your disobedience. 
So Paul makes clear here, and it's a discovery that Luther made, that, that grace is the only hope for salvation. So the second question we might ask, besides what is salvation and why do you need it, is, is simply this. Why do we need to be saved by grace? Why can't we be saved by our works? Why can't we be saved by religious activity? Why, why can't just going to church on a regular attendance, uh, a regular basis, being in attendance most of the time, giving some money to the church, you know, maybe even tithing, such a great sacrifice for the American Christian. Why, why can't that be enough? Why can't God say, well, you've earned it. Come on in. Well, it's because it's not what you do when you're dead that matters. When you're dead in trespasses and sin, you're dead. And so, so the Apostle Paul in this passage lays out that clearly. And especially in verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, I know you. I know you well. I've lived with, lived with you at one level or another, many of you for 13 years and others for a lesser time, but I've been with you and I've seen you, and I know that if you can be saved by your work, you're going to brag about it. You're going to tell people about it. You're going to say, here's what I did to be made right with God. Here's what I did to make God accept me. I was so good, I was so smart, I was so clever. You know, I, I, I may have even tricked God into accepting me. Because I was so clever in my deceptiveness to be received by him. Paul says, you've got to understand, grace is the only way of salvation. Grace is the only way to him. It's what we sang about in that hymn. And, and uh, the, it's in the faith talk today for you to discuss later on, you know, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Our sin is great, but His mercy is more. Our sin is great, but His grace is more. When He shows His grace to us. Now, there's, there's two types of grace. We recognize that. There's, there's common grace and there's special grace. Common grace is grace that's given to every single person that lives on the face of the earth, every single person that, that, that uh, breathes and has ever lived. We've we got rain falling out there today, and and it's not just raining on your yard because you're a Christian and on your garden because you're a Christian. It's raining on the just and the unjust alike. Everybody's benefiting from that rain. Now, some will not benefit from it so much in Alabama, perhaps, and other places where the storm is going to be strong and tornadoes are going to ravish places. But, but there, it's not just the evil ones that are being hit, but it's the it's Christians will be suffering in that too. There's common grace whereby God blesses in a general sort of way. And everybody that we know benefits from that. But there's special grace. Grace that is given to, to bring about forgiveness of our sin. Grace that is given, as Paul says, to save us, to rescue us, to deliver us out of this death and into life. So, so Paul said, I want you to understand something. When you recognize your salvation in Christ, you have nothing to say, look at me. Look how good I am. It's all of him. Now, I have no problem with young Christians saying, you know, I, I really, really 
pursued Christ. I, I searched for God and I searched for Jesus. And you know what? I found him. I mean, young baby believers will see it that way. I saw it that way. But once you start studying the scripture and start growing as a Christian, you cannot ever say, I really searched for Jesus and by Jove, I found him. You only say, you know, he found me and brought me by grace to himself. The hymn writer said it this way. The hymn writer said, you know, I sought the Lord. It's a good point. I, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found him, O Savior true, but you found me. Sure, there is that sense of desire, there's that sense of want. And, and the scripture says if you want Christ, you can come to Christ. All that come to him will not be cast out. All that want him will come. But then on the other side, when we look back on it, we recognize it was Christ. It was God's grace. It was God working in us to draw us to himself. So that in our last sola in a couple of weeks, we will see that even our salvation is sola deo gloria. To his glory alone. Not to our glory, not to our pride, not to our ability, not to our doing what we can do and adding something to his grace to say it's grace plus something. Grace plus anything equals nothing. Christ plus anything, we'll talk about this next week, equals nothing. Grace and faith in Christ alone is everything in the Christian life. So we see that we were dead. We were in need of rescue, and God, by His grace, has rescued us. Then there's a third thing I want you to ask here. Where do works fit in? Are you saying, Bill, that works mean nothing? Absolutely not. Are you saying that, you know, we don't have to be godly? There's no sense in godliness. There's no sense of obedience in God's Word. There's no sense of loving God and and, and seeking to know God in the Christian life? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that at all. Paul is saying here that works cannot save you. But once you are saved, works are magnified. Look at that last verse. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship. <laughs> I love that statement. We are his workmanship. Have you ever made anything? Maybe you've made pottery, or maybe you've made furniture, or maybe you've made any number of things. You've got these things that you make, and, and I look here, and I see the Lord's Supper table, and I see the pulpit. Both of these made by one of our members, Roger, and, 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 and they're beautiful, and they're magnificent, and, and they didn't just happen. We didn't just hope to have a pulpit and hope to have a Lord's Supper table sitting up here. And voila, a table said, I'll be the Lord's Supper table. That's ludicrous, isn't it? That even sounds ridiculous. can't believe I even said it. No, but a craftsman took his tools and his skills and he crafted this Lord's Supper table into a beautiful table. 
and this pulpit into a beautiful pulpit. He made it. Paul is saying, you, if you're a believer, if you are in Christ, you are His workmanship. He has crafted you. He is making you into a a beautiful thing. Not accepted because you're beautiful, but beautiful because you're accepted. Not not in Christ because you were beautiful, but beautiful because you're in Christ. Does, Does that make sense? You're His workmanship. He is crafting you. He is shaping you. He uses the good times and the bad times. He uses the suffering you go through and the joys you go through. But God is, you are God's workmanship. You are His Lord's supper table. You are His pulpit. And He is crafting you into something beautiful. You're His workmanship. In every believer, God is at work. He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with me yet. But he's working. Hear what he said. You, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Yeah, good works are a real part of the Christian life. Obedience is a real part of the Christian life. Holiness is a real part of the Christian life. A person who says, oh, I'm saved, I don't need to pursue holiness, does not understand what salvation is. And they've not received the grace of God, not the special grace of God. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already planned. He's already purposed exactly where we should go in doing good works for His glory and for our growth, for our knowing the grace, living in the grace. And the grace of God is not something that just got you in. It's something that strengthens you for the walk, that we should walk in them. So we are saved by grace. We are justified by grace through faith. We are made alive by grace. We are pursued in order to pull us to pursue Him by grace. And we work and we walk by grace. By His working in our lives. Not by our own works. Not by our own good deeds. But you do know, we talked about this in my class on Sunday night a few weeks ago, that we are judged by our works. But we are not saved by our works. It is our works that cry out for our rewards, our, our, our blessings. It's, it's our works that, that God uses to, to use us to share with other people. But our salvation is strictly by grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Tom and Bill, two men that grew up together in the same church, two men who went separate ways in college and 
life, but ended up back in the same church. One worshiping God and pursuing God and desiring God's grace in his life every day. One who presumed upon the grace of God. Who presumed that one day God would say, okay, yeah, don't worry about it. Are you Tom? Or are you Bill? Are you walking in His grace? Or are you just trying to do it yourself? See, Christianity is not a do-it-yourself religion. Christianity is not a try-harder religion. Christianity is not a, I hope I can, like the little engine, think I can, I think I can, hope I can, hope I can. Mm -mm. Christianity is depending totally upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ. What Tom had hoped Bill would say was, I'm trusting in Christ alone. Not in a profession of faith I made, not in a baptism I went through and basically have abandoned. But I'm trusting in Christ alone because of His grace alone. Let's pray together.